Prairie Paysan went from being like this where to find far farmers at your local market project to being like where to find the best products that you can. And um, and that the scope of that went from like fruits and veg to coffee beans. This is the Modern Domestique podcast, where each episode focuses on a different aspect of modern home economics. It's all about exploring a way of life that enhances our community and environment from where it all begins, in the home. My main hope is that this podcast encourages a new look at what modern home economics can be, and that these interviews empower you to make modern home economics your own in your home and community. I'm Stacy Keating, and we're kicking off the second half of season three with an interview with Emily Dilling of My Paris Market Cookbook and Paris Paysan. Full disclosure, Emily and I have been friends since the mid-2000s. We first met when we both ended up working in the same bar in Paris. Both being from California and both loving the Paris life, we hit it off right away and were pretty much inseparable while we were both living in France. But our friendship is not the focus of today's interview. Emily has just released the second edition of her book, My Paris Market Cookbook, which is what we will be talking about in the interview. It's actually part cookbook and part guidebook to some of the best places in Paris. The guidebook focus is on places that feature seasonal, local, or sustainably sourced products. The cookbook focus is on simple but delicious French food that you can cook anywhere in the world. The second edition of this book hits shelves this month, so be sure to pick up your copy soon. Also, make sure to check out the blog post that goes along with this episode because Emily has shared a recipe from the new edition with us that you won't want to miss. A lot has happened in both of our lives since we first met at that crazy bar, and I'm so proud of everything that Emily has done since those early days in Paris, and I'm really excited to share today's interview with you. All right, so would you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So I'm Emily Dilling. I'm the author of my Paris Market Cookbook, which is being re-released on June 25th as an updated and revised edition. So I took um, the original book, which was published in 2015, um, updated it to kind of to reflect any changes, any like restaurant closures or new openings or hours. So it's all all of that like information is up to date. But I also added a bunch of content that I'm really excited to talk about um, to this new edition, which is coming out in a paperback format as well, which is a change from the original um, and includes new recipes. It includes new content like neighborhood roundups um, that kind of give like a cool itinerary for if you wanted to do like a little walking tour of different Paris neighborhoods and find great places to eat and drink. Um, and there's some other sections we can talk about too that are that are new to this edition of the book, which has all the goodness of the first copy or the first edition, <laughs> and then um, and yeah, and some updated and new content for to make it relevant and up to date for for Paris travelers of today. Cool. Um, so for those who don't know you, they might be listening to this thinking like you're writing about Paris and yet you have an American accent. Can you talk about your background a little bit? Yeah, sure. I don't know how far back to go. I guess I'll make it quick. I, <laughs> um, I am from California originally, and then I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, and then I went and did my studies. I went to college in the Pacific Northwest. I was in Olympia um, at the Evergreen State College. And there I 
studied all kinds of things. And then my last, um, my last year, I decided to study French. And so French brought me um, on a like a, a like a travel abroad experience with my class. And I um, lived, I st- you know, I stayed in a few different places in France and really fell in love with the country and also the language. And by the end of my studies, um, I felt like I wasn't done with that yet. So I graduated from college and I had this sort of basic grasp on French and a college degree that I didn't know what to do with. So <laughs> I bought a ticket to Paris and um, yeah, and the idea was to just stay as long as I could and to learn French and live among the French people and, and figure it out. So that was in 2005. And so, yeah, 14 years later, I'm still in France. I spent 10 years in Paris um, and I did all kinds of odd jobs and, and really just like soaked up life in Paris and, um, and started getting interested in, at around, in around 2010, I started getting interested in the Paris markets because I was starting to kind of see, recognize the differences between Paris markets and U.S. farmers markets, realizing that like Paris markets are so amazing. They're so, there's so many of them. They're so frequent and they're really like so neighborhood specific, but they also, um, don't they they were kind of like losing their farmers like they weren't necessarily farmers they were markets but not necessarily farmers markets so in 2010 I started my blog Perry Paysan and I started chronicling my visits to different Paris markets there's like over 60 in the city so the idea was to kind of visit all of them and and share with people my findings with like the idea of sharing where to find farmers at Paris markets um and so, yeah, and so that was the kind of the, the quest that I set out on with Perry Paysan. And then that, um, my, like, my like awareness, heightened awareness to Paris food culture really coincided with this like growing movement of like farm to table, um, like craft beer was really starting to be born. Like that's when the first like craft, like proper craft beer bars started opening up. And even like the, the like Brasserie de la Goutte d'Or, which is one of the first like inside Paris brewery craft breweries, um, they opened around that time. So that was happening. The coffee scene was starting to get really, really cool with this sort of like Australian influence, um, inspiring people to roast their own coffee and serve up like great cups of coffee. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, natural wine, which is kind of maybe like experiencing like a second wave of not popularity, but like of like awareness, um, and celebration was, you know, beginning to be more talked about. So like all of these things that kind of were going with like hand in hand with my attention to like food sourcing and appreciation of the producers, um, all kind of like it happened together. So Perry Paysan went from being like this where to find far- farmers at your local market project to being like where to find the best products that you can. And um, and that the scope of that went from like fruits and veg to coffee beans Mm. so um so I feel really lucky that uh that like the people around me started making me aware of food sourcing and the importance of like paying attention to where your food comes from and supporting producers and that that coincided with this like larger movement that made um that gave me such a wealth of um of avenues to explore and um and people to to discover and meet with yeah, and the listeners might not know that we are actually BFFs. <laughs> way back. We, we do go way back to the early mid like Paris days. Paris life is like you probably are thinking about. <laughs> we soaked up a lot of things. We did soak up a Paris lot of. <laughs> 
but part of that soaking up, um, I think for me brings up like when I talk to people about my time in France, cause we were there for a lot of time together. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, well, everything there is fresh anyways. Like, you know, oh, you don't have to think about like where things come from because everything comes from like farmers directly. And, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily true because I remember when you first started, I think it was called not at Carrefour back then. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was the, basically the idea was like, wait, I don't have to shop at these big box stores, which is something that does exist in France. So I think totally. that it's, it's really important what you're doing because the misconception is everything in France is fresh and that's not necessarily true. It's really easy to live in Paris and you know like not ever know where your food comes from and eat like an American (laughs) totally that was the thing and like you know I like took a trip back to California right before starting the the blog I actually made like a west coast road trip and I was just seeing like the awareness like people were like participating in cow shares so they could have non-pasteurized milk and there was like an edible forest being created in Seattle and you know talking to chef friends who were talking about the slow food movement and all this stuff and I thought you know they're in a lot of ways like the U.S. like this like not counterculture but this like food culture was so inspiring and then when I got back to France I just saw like the the veil had kind of fallen and I saw things in a different way and that was yeah and so I started off being like I'm not going to go to the supermarket anymore and then that kind of just opened up um, you know a lot of like questions of like okay well then what's next and it's true like you could easily eat yeah like just you know not not fresh not local and I think you know, and it's, the, you know, if you look at, if you look at like Julia Child or Alice Waters, you, they're going to give you this idea of like this, you know, amazing Paris market experience. And it maybe was that in their time, but mm-hmm. it's, but it's changed like you, a lot. And a lot of the food that you'll find is, you know, comes from Spain or comes from even farther. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's wholesalers who have gone to either Rangis, like the big, like wholesale food market mm-hmm. or, you know, who just, yeah, are kind of like import food and sell it and resell it at the market. They're not the people who grew it. Um, And I think, and, you know, and, and also, you know, in that same vein, like, you know, a lot of the restaurants, there was a lot, there was a huge, like, kind of scandal a couple of years ago of people and like investigative journalism into like what actually happens in the kitchens at a lot of restaurants, especially Mm -hmm. ones that are in touristy areas. And it was like, just a bunch of frozen food being reheated. And so, so yeah, I think that like, France is and Paris in particular is able to like rest on its laurels and its reputation but I think it's important to check that and I mean yeah and then yeah and like really call out that like that sort of misconception that that you everything is going to be great in Paris because you can really have a bad meal in Paris if you Mm -hmm. don't do the research and that's and that's a shame because I don't think anyone should come to the city where a city where there are so many options for good eating and have a disappointing food or, or, you know, or wine experience. Right. And I think you're right that a lot of those things, like those disappointing meals do happen closer to the big tourist attractions. Um, but like in your walking tour book, like, you know, you're, you talk about like, Hey, this is close to the Louvre. So instead of just hitting up this random brasserie that you don't know anything about and could be hit or miss, how about you like take a little further walk or, you know, explore this neighborhood a little and try out this like bar that I have, you know, like vetted for you. For sure. I guess the part of my of my France story I left off is that, you know, I was 10 years in Paris and, and now I live in the countryside. And so and since and I moved pretty much when the first edition of this book came out. So so revisiting the manuscript and revisiting the project really gave me an opportunity to kind of like walk 
through Paris in my mind and I like really miss Paris a lot and all and those neighborhood roundups are just me like um after having gone back and visiting those neighborhoods and adding new addresses obviously like me just taking a, like a mental wander through Paris and being like this is where I would stop you know mm-hmm. so these are like so I definitely chose neighborhoods that like like that are very rich with places like the 11th you you can't throw a stone without finding like craft coffee natural mm-hmm. wine or you know like a a cool like um restaurant to visit but the but even you know thinking about like central paris i did a roundup of central paris and the places are a little bit fewer and farther between but these are all places that i would stop after visiting the louvre after going to the luxembourg gardens after going to like the pantheon or that sort of area mm-hmm. or odeon you know mm-hmm. like that's very central paris area which is also evolving i think like the left bank took a little bit of time to like show up because um for various reasons that that aren't um super important to get into but now there are more things popping up and so um I didn't want it like I I didn't want the book to just be catered to people who are getting an Airbnb in the 11th arrondissement and already have their you know restaurant reservations Mm -hmm. set up you know you can come to Paris see the monuments and also have a great meal if you're willing to like walk a little bit or hop on the metro and go two stops further you know Mm -hmm. it's maybe not going to be right underneath the eiffel tower that you're going to find something but it's totally worth getting out of the your way and finding something good because you feel like a more authentic experience and it's not just like purely culinary you know it's not just like for food snobs i think also like if you are putting yourself in a position to be surrounded by people who are super passionate about what they do and they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't mm-hmm. then you're going to have really cool interactions like you can just you know i mean simply say like this is a great cup of coffee and someone's going to tell you the story about that coffee mm-hmm. coffee because they're happy that you enjoy it and they're like they spent their time bringing it to you you yeah. know not just making it for you but like you know sourcing it for you or you know and so mm-hmm. they have that relationship and they're excited to share their contacts and that's a nice chat to have I mean mm-hmm. it's a great conversation starter to begin with and it's also like a cool way to learn about what what's going on in this in you know in this part of the world so I think yep. that's another way is like you know the memories you take back from a trip aren't like necessarily physical souvenirs They're, they really are like memories and I think a conversation with someone from a different culture is is super enriching and like I think you're really like setting yourself up to win if you go to a place where people are like excited about sharing stories and that's the case for for I would say every address that I included in the book yeah and I think excited about sharing feelings and um you know and like exciting about excited about the movement that's happening around Mm -hmm. them too so Mm -hmm. as a tourist in Paris it would be you know, not only exciting to try someplace where something is like super passionately like sourced and cared about, but also that person might have some other recommendations like, hey, if you walk around the block, this new place just opened up or like, have you tried this place yet? Or, you know, whatever. For sure. For sure. And I think also like that's a cool thing about these like nascent, I may say nascent, it's been almost 10 years, but like for a lot of the like craft beer scene and things like that, but still it's like, they're still in that situation, like that stage where they're everyone's supporting everyone Mm because everyone just wants people to have good beer good coffee you know Mm -hmm. they're like the more of us there are the better it is for everyone you know and like so yeah I think people are happy to like to to yeah like you said like give a suggestion of where else to go if it's you know and and also to yeah to talk up the the movement the people who they respect in the movement and and it's yeah it's a great starting point and like that's another thing too I would suggest is like definitely um, like I really love all the places I included in this book, but it can't be exhaustive because I'm sure there's like little hidden spots in the 12th arrondissement that I don't know mm-hmm. about, you know, mm-hmm. and that you might discover. And that's another thing I think that's so cool about Paris. It's so full of hidden treasures, you yeah. know, and so walking around and finding a little like in 
yeah, I'm finding a little spot. I mean, there's even some places that, um, yeah, that are just totally under the radar and that, and that that's what locals will, will point you towards. And you just need to be able to talk to locals to do that. And it's, I don't think you're going to have that, um, as easily in like a cafe near the Eiffel Tower. You know, I think it's, it's definitely worth your while to, to go and seek out these people and places so that they can kind of like get you going on your, on your, um, like on your scavenger hunt of, yeah, of Paris. For sure. And some of my, you know, when I first moved to Paris before I met you, Emily, um, <laughs> I, was there, ever a there time? was a time, it was very brief, but it, there was a time. <laughs> um, when I first moved to Paris, I, I didn't speak any French and I didn't know anyone yet. And so I was just like, I would just pick a stop on the metro to get off mm-hmm. of and just walk. And those are some of my favorite memories is, was just exploring a neighborhood and like happening upon a little boutique or a mm-hmm. little cafe or a little, you know, whatever bookstore. And, you know, like remembering like, oh, this is the place that I first learned how to say black bean or whatever, you know, yeah. like those little memories of just exploring on your own because you kind of can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's such a magical city and every neighborhood has like its little charms and it's different, you know, like it's different vibes and like and I think also like letting yourself explore that way really like hones your observation skills and Mm -hmm. I think like that's something that I wanted to do um with the book was also like to make it in a way like sensitize people to um to 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 signs and like signifiers of quality so like I gave some ideas about like things like keywords or visuals you can look for in a market to, Mm -hmm. to identify a farmer but I also kind of included bits about like what what is natural wine and mm-hmm. just to kind of because I think the, a big difference between the first public like the first issue uh, edition of the book and the second one is the first edition was really about like finding these places and the second edition is kind of like um how to like sort through and find what's what is truly representative of these movements if mm-hmm. that makes sense like yep. at first it was like okay these are the places you can go to to get craft beer and, and natural wine and now it's like okay, there's a lot of people who say that they have craft beer or natural wine, but are they co-opting the movement or are they really like progressing the movement? And so I think, you know, knowing some key terms, like knowing like what, what to look for in natural wine or like how to tell if, you know, if the person who's put together this wine list is like knows who they're buying from or Mm -hmm. just kind of bought some stuff that has like an organic certification Mm -hmm. sticker on it, you know, Mm -hmm. or, um, or it's craft beer because it's, not Cronenberg do you know (laughs) like there's a difference right so so also being like okay now we've got tons of selections because a lot of people have hopped on the movement and a lot of people have joined the movement uh how can you tell like which is authentic and which is kind of just profiting off of that so I think you know observational skills while you're wandering will serve you incredibly well to Mm -hmm. just tell like what what is authentic and and again like I think it's people are like excited to share your story and that's the thing and that's how you're gonna like also use your French that you practice before your trip or learn (laughs) what black bean is, you know, like those are super like, those are like unforgettable moments for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I know you have this in the book, but briefly for the listeners, what exactly is natural wine? Because you've mentioned that a few times and I know that I get that question a lot. So if you could explain that. Yeah, cool. And it's so, so confusing. Like when I first started (laughs) writing about it, like not even, I don't know, like maybe like five or six years ago, I I like Googled that, like what is natural wine? And then you get all these things of like, well, can wine be natural? What does that term mean? And 
it's not natural because it's like there's man, you know, it's like man-made or there's intervention because wine doesn't make itself or, you know, and there's and there's a lot of like blah, blah around it. And they think, you know, call it what you will. I, I like the term like, um, uh, like I think the term natural wine is the easiest one to use because it just seems like that's kind of universal. Mm-hmm. But like, um, I don't know. I like I like to call it fermented grape juice too <laughs> because I think that that's what I mean. That's what to, to me yeah. basically is the idea is like super super low intervention or zero intervention, which is possible. Like my partner works with a winemaker who has added barely any sulfur to his to this year's um, vintages, and uh, I think. I think 90, like 90% of the vintages are zero sulfur. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we know a lot of winemakers who work in that way. And then a lot who work in just a very super, super low intervention. Um, but yeah, to me, natural wine is like a winemaker who works with in the vines and in the vinification process, grows his vine, his grapes, harvests them, and then vinifies them. And then kind of just accompanies them in a way that is respectful of the year and the, and the fruit and the intention that they have and what they want to share and, um, doesn't get involved in speeding up fermentation or stopping fermentation or adding sugar or any Mm -hmm. sort of preserving agents or sulfur to mask anything that might be considered a fault in the wine. Just kind of like let the fruit express itself through fermentation, which is like, um, yeah, which is a very like pure way of, of, of winemaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the ideal for most natural winemakers. And then there's the reality, which is, uh, we've like in my region, uh, which is a wine growing region, we've had f- issues with frost over mm-hmm. the past three years. And that's becomes, that seems like that's just going to be the new norm. So mm-hmm. a lot of people have lost their harvest, uh, to frost and so then you have to buy grapes from someone else. And so, you know, so you mm-hmm. make concessions, you make compromises, you try to survive as a small business owner as well. And I like totally understand that. And I also think, um, I think that there's a lot of gray area in that. And I don't think it's worth being super crazy, like rigid on that. But I think basically a wine to me, a natural wine is something that's not made necessary for like to, to be a recreation of itself every year. It's right. something that tells a story. I yeah. think that's what natural wine is to me. It tells it's something it's a product that tells a story that's made with care and attention and it's made with respect for the like what the plant gives you. And it's really that relationship with the between the winemaker and that and that primary product and how they can make that an expression of their their story, the grape story, the year's story and mm-hmm. the land's story. Yeah, yeah. So th- like for me you know, if, if someone were to pick up, say, a Sutter Home bottle mm-hmm. of, like, rosé or whatever, it's going to taste the same every year, no matter exactly. what. Um, yeah. Whereas natural wine, to me, you can really taste the earth and the yeah. air and, yeah. you know, like, everything that was going on that year. So every yeah. every year is going to be totally different. And sometimes it, it's like, I don't know, a winemaker might have an accidental bubbly wine one year or something, yeah, you know, which is yeah. really fun to try. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it allows for that freedom of expression, which is super important and very not capitalistic, you know, yeah. like it's very like, okay, this is what, this is what I, either this is what happened to me this year and this is how I can, you know, what I can do to, to, to deal with maybe like a super rainy year, not mm-hmm. that much sunshine or, you know, the grapes aren't as ripe as I thought or, mm-hmm. um, and it's, but it's also, it's also like, a living thing, you know, like yeah. I just, I just, I'm in California now and I flew home with, um, my, uh, my partner made some Pinot Donis this year and I flew home with a bottle of that. And it's just like, it's sitting in a corner, like I'm jet lagged. The, 
the wine is jet lagged. Like, <laughs> we're like figuring out how to like be on this time zone. And as soon as I'm feeling better, I think the wine will be and I'll uncork that and we'll share it. But I'm like, you know, it's, it's a living, like, I don't yeah. want to say volatile because that's like a kind of a word we use for a fault in the wine, but it's, it's like this like dynamic thing yeah. that has a life of its own. That's like adapting to living in a bottle after being with its friends in a big coop like in a big <laughs> barrel and you know and I think that's the thing too is like you're really like it's like it's there's energy in that there's mm-hmm. life in that and then and I think once you start drugging it or you know yeah. like adding things to it um you're killing something about the magic that is this like really potent and lovely bev- you know drink like yeah. this yeah elixir so <laughs> um so yeah that's what I think yeah that's why I love to taste something and just really feel feel the like personality of the winemaker the the place that it comes from the like energy that was put into the grapes and the energy that they want to give back to you and um yeah Yeah. it's just fun and it's also it's just fun to it's for me it's so fun to drink you know and your head doesn't hurt the next day and it's and everything is just it's just a discovery all the time and and there's so much passion behind it because it's um you know it's once a year you you know you spend your whole year taking care of these vines and then yeah. you make this wine and then you're ready to share it and there's a story behind every be, behind every vintage and that's like mm-hmm. super that makes it more than just you know more than just a, a glass of wine yeah to me. It's, it's so it's true and I think the same could be said for like food you know like mm-hmm. people say that home cooked food tastes better or whatever and I think there's a lot of reasons for that but one of them I think is the intention behind you know like what is being made so like mm-hmm. the other day my husband and my husband made this like tuna salad um and so we had some extra in the fridge and yesterday he was leaving to go to a training and I was like hey do you want me to make you a sandwich and he was like yeah so I made him a sandwich he texted me later and was like oh the sandwich was so good thank you and I was like well you made it I just put it in bread and gave it to you you know and he was like no but it tastes different when someone else makes it and I think that it's the intention and like the love and you know whatever that goes into it without you even realizing it sometimes Mm -hmm. um and I think that with you know, natural wine too, and things like that, you can really feel that and taste it. Yeah, I fully agree with that. That's a super great example too, your sandwich example. <laughs> like it's true how it just, how it just changes that. I mean, there's technique obviously, but there's something extra. There's something that else than that. That's yeah. a little bit harder to like pinpoint, but there. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about this a little bit, but what are the big differences between, um, the first edition and the second edition of the book? So, yeah, I think, um, the, I guess, I think actually I'm just realizing it now. I think the fact that I moved, that I left the city, I'm not, I'm not that far and I definitely am visiting and go up there a lot and still have community there. But, um, I think the fact that I left made me really, uh, think about how, how to visit Paris, I guess, because now when I go, it's mm-hmm. more uh, as a visitor in a way. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I had the idea to um, to include the neighborhood roundup. So I chose four different neighborhoods um, and they're uh, like I chose central Paris, like I mentioned, I, I chose the other side of Montmartre. So there's like a whole part of the 18th arrondissement that isn't Sacré-Cœur or, mm-hmm. you know, Abbesse, Montmartre and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, I chose like two streets really in the 11th arrondissement that kind of intersect and that's a nice little that make up this kind of neighborhood and just those two streets are just so full of stuff so um, places <laughs> and then I chose the Marche d'Aligue Bastille area mm-hmm. because there's 
so many great spots there and like mm. all and I wanted them all to represent a range between like a morning visit with you know coffee and croissant or and a market visit or you know if you were in the afternoon like where could you get lunch or where could you go for an apéro where could you get dinner um and so that I think you know I just didn't even think to include in the first edition and I'm so happy that it's now become part of the book because I think that's an easy way to kind of be like okay I'm going to be in this area where can I stop and at mm -hmm. any point in the day there's like a, a place that you can pop into um so that's new when I started the um like after the book was published I start the first edition I started a podcast and when I started doing that the Perry Paysan podcast I was interviewing all these people who were kind of like movers and shakers in the Paris food scene and I realized like unintentionally like they were pretty much all women like and hmm. and I was just like wow there's so many just amazing ladies doing great stuff in the city and I was just so grateful that I had the podcast just as an excuse to reach out to them and I was mm -hmm. having great conversations and like um in all all over like a woman who makes vegan cheese in Paris like you know bakers and coffee people and beer brewers and and like and so I realized like god these women like deserve um to be like you know recognized for what they're doing so yeah. I, I included a section on women in the Paris food and and drink scene um that was just like so easy to write because there's so many awesome women uh business owners and chefs in Paris and that's new there's some new recipes that are that I'm happy to share again like all in the same sort of vein of like super simple like not tons of ingredients you don't need a bunch of technique like I'm like a home cook mm -hmm. I you know I, I just wanted to put recipes that I would make so I have like mm -hmm. a nice like one pot lentils and sausage recipe like mm -hmm. saucisse lentilles is a super popular uh hearty like French recipe that we often do during harvest time because it's something you can like put on the table and feed a bunch of hungry harvesters. So there's some nice like family style recipes that I've added. Um, and, and yeah, and then like, and then I've just really like kind of beefed up all of the, all of the existing content. So added more um, like, you know, craft beer bars or bottle shops, added different like natural wine spots, added places to, um, like new restaurants that have come up that I just like absolutely love um, and then and then I also um, have some nice contributions so I have like my friend Amanda who opened a donut shop in Paris called Bone Shaker she's an amazing lady and she she contributed a recipe to the book it's her it's her um, pumpkin donut so mm. um, we're gonna I think we're gonna do a little event in in Paris in September with that when it's like starts to be pumpkin season and mm. we'll have um and so, yeah, so it was nice to collaborate with, like, with local, like, uh, food people and then also, and then also just, like, expand and add to what was already there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you sent me an advanced copy of the book and I have read it and I love all the new editions. Cool. And I feel like it's um, really put together well. It's not that different, I guess, than the first mm -hmm. one, like, as far as, like, the chapters and things like that. But mm -hmm. it's, um, I don't know, it's somehow flows differently and I really like how it flows <laughs> yeah well I hope it was like I mean I really I do think that that made a change for me to be like attacking it as someone who's like okay well if I went to Paris as yeah. a visitor which is what I do now like how would I want this to be instead of like as someone who's like here's a list of all of the things those are all there because I think it's important you can go to the index and like look up the mm -hmm. place or you know or you can like find you know things are going to like 
like um, pop if they're in the arrondissement that you're in or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I did want to have like something where it could just be kind of more accessible to someone who's like, I'm in central Paris, what's around? And yeah. you've got that there kind of. Yeah. So I hope it's practical. And I really, I'm really happy that the book is out in paperback because it's like lighter. You can throw it in your bag. You can have it with you. I mean, sometimes when you're traveling too, you're not like necessarily on the internet as much. So I do mm-hmm. think having a like a physical copy of something that can be your guide is super helpful. So For sure. I think that this this um, version of the book is a little bit more conducive to that as opposed to the original, which is which was a hard book, mm-hmm. like a hard cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, for sure. Um what kind of just as a side note what are some of your favorite things about paris oh god where do i <laughs> put you on the spot <laughs> well, it's the place where we met <laughs> heart eyes <laughs> i mean but that's where it started right? i mean because i yeah. would say you know because it wasn't food that brought me to paris i right. mean it was definitely you know it was definitely heart eyes it was like love of of like French culture mm-hmm. and it, or, you know, being enamored of that, but not really knowing what it was. And it, yeah, it wasn't, you know, I, I think, I think for me, like I can just go there all these years later, I can still hop on a Metro and get off on a stop and walk around, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I can still like do, or, you know, um, explore the city and find something new. I think the, the, like the energy of the, like, com- community that's there like mm-hmm. literally having like met you and like our friend Nick our mm-hmm. shared friend who you've talked about on on um modern D- domestique he he did the photos for the book mm-hmm. and now he's like this you know rocking superstar yeah. in his own right and we met working in a pub you know like you know and I think and like so many friends that I met in that just from the like those early years that are that I'm just like so proud to know and I think it's such a like a, a rich place to like to to spend time in your life you know Mm -hmm. I think that's I think my uh, yeah I just think gosh what a what a lucky lucky thing to have happen to be able to spend time in Paris and because it's magical because it's a place for me where I feel like everything is possible because I'm so grateful for what it you know Mm -hmm. what it's um the, the 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 role that it's played in my life um and I do think, like, for me, like, I, I am a city person, so I'm not, like, intimidated by cities. But I do think, like, for someone who's maybe not comfortable in cities or, you know, is kind of, like, to me, Paris isn't that overwhelming. Like, Paris is right. also made up of little villages. And so you mm-hmm. can, you know, especially if you're, like, visiting and you have, like, and you're renting, like, an apartment, you're doing, like, an Airbnb or something. Like, you could just settle in and find mm-hmm. your local bakery, your local coffee shop, your, you know, your local stuff. And, like, yep. within, like, a four-block radius, you've probably got what you need to, like, at least stock your, you know, fridge for that night. Yep. You know, And so I love, love, love that. And I love that, like, it's a very human city. Like, you can sit... And, and, you know, sit, sit at the bar, order a glass of wine, ask about the winemaker and be involved in a conversation. And then the, the neighbor will probably jump in or, you know, it's mm-hmm. like it's very human. And I know the French don't have like the have a reputation for being like super chummy. But I mean, if you get them talking about food, Ooh, they yeah. are. And so <laughs> I think like, you know, and I think there's like that's another way to speak their language. And I just I, I don't know. I feel so comfortable in Paris because I feel like it's um, you're surrounded by people who are like passionate and have mm-hmm. all kinds of interests and like tapping into that makes them open wide for you and mm-hmm. and makes the city open up for you in a way that's like super special and memorable. Yeah, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful city for in, in every way. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. 
I know, and I miss it so much. Oh, yeah. It's inside us. It is. I carry it with me everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of in um, closing, I suppose, one of the last questions I want to ask is, do you have any advice for um, tourists going to Paris or France like um you know not necessarily like where to go or what to see but like how to be there I guess other than talking to the locals yeah I would say first of all like if you need it like I'm just gonna put it out there you have my total encouragement and validation of like making an itinerary that's based on eating and drinking like <laughs> don't feel bad about it like I feel like a lot of times I have family come visit and then they're like all we do is eat and drink I'm like well what are you I mean that's what we do here you know and then we'll go for a walk in between or something yeah. but like there's just no shame in that to me like I think and like I said not just because like you know not like stuffing yourself or whatever but because I think that's like a really great way to see the city and discover it and talk to people so I would say like do not feel bad about that I would also say keep in mind that sometimes you have to you know you have to stay on the the schedule for that too like Mm -hmm. and also you know think about even reserving now because some of these places they're like get busy so think about actually planning that itinerary not just having it in your mind but actually like putting it you know like Mm -hmm. confirming that with the other you know with the restaurants and stuff and also like you know France is has like those strict meal times of like this is lunchtime this is dinner time so plan around that if you can if you want to like hit a bunch of good places yeah um dinner at 5 30 is not possible (laughs) totally and like lunch at 4 30 isn't either like yeah so that's that's just how it is um yeah so I would say definitely like think about your your food plans before coming and like and be like and like yeah and don't hesitate to to really concentrate on that aspect (laughs) of your visit um I'd say also like use um I, I don't know I think like as as much as like going to like a restaurant or a bar or something is like a cultural experience I would say like even if you're not planning on cooking like go visit a market I think it's super like it's super fun to just people watch there and like I said there's so many markets in Paris like every neighborhood like again within your four block radius of your Airbnb there's probably a market that's open on Thursday mornings like just go there and walk around you'll hear people speaking you'll see interactions you'll you'll just see like what people are shopping for you can talk to people if you're feeling comfortable with that you can like you know, even just use your bonjour and have like a little smile, like you can kind of get into like local culture by doing that. And I think that that's like a, I don't know, that's like a super fun experience to have because it's like lively and it's locals and it's, you know, and it's a time where people are dedicated to like shopping for what they're going to like make for dinner that night or that, you know, how they're going to, they're doing their grocery shopping for the week or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's cool. And oftentimes like that area where there's a market is kind of a central spot for that neighborhood so maybe the coffee shop that's you know you're gonna find like that's like kind of the like the epicenter of like that little neighborhood so that's a good Mm -hmm. spot to know usually um yeah and I would say like visiting Paris through the like through the like filter of like food wine is a really great way to discover what Paris has to offer. For sure. I agree. (laughs) Cool. Well, merci beaucoup, Emily, for taking the time. Thank you. Um, I'll have all the links for everything in the show notes, and I'll have a little post up on the blog, too. Maybe I'll throw in an old-school picture of you and I for the the listeners, too. (laughs) Please surprise me. (laughs) One that's not too embarrassing, I promise. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Emily. Love you a lot. Love you too, C. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Modern Domestique podcast. And a big thanks to Emily for the conversation today. 
I have links to the things we talked about in the show notes and make sure to check out the blog post that goes along with this episode for more information, that cool recipe I mentioned, and links to everything as well. Up next in season three is an interview with my local credit union. I put it off because Emily's book is on sale on Amazon right now and I didn't want you to miss it. So I kind of slid her in there. But next up is that credit union. So make sure to sign up to this podcast in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like this episode, please take the time to tell a friend or leave a rating or a review in the podcast app of your choice so that other people can find this podcast too. It really does make a difference to help others find this podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear about your takeaways from today's episode or if you make Emily's recipe. So please make sure to stay in touch on the website, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in and have a very modern domestique day.